Welcome to the Amateur Church Podcast, where we pursue excellence in ministry with the right motivation for the sake of love. I'm Pastor Matt, and I'm so thankful that you are on this disciple's journey with me. This week, we've been reading the book of Job, and we've looked at theological truths, devotion questions, even apologetic issues from this book. And today, I'd like to give you a a glimpse of how evangelism, the sharing of the gospel of Jesus Christ, is even seen in this Old Testament book. Remember, Job was written during the time of the patriarchs. That's chronologically where it takes place in the uh, during the time of the book of Genesis. And yet we see glimpses of the gospel even in the book of Job. And so I want to walk you through that, maybe even how you could share with others the good news of Jesus Christ. So we see four aspects of uh, of God, his character, mankind, and, and man's need of a mediator or savior based on the book of Job. So uh, first, I want to take you to Job chapter 12 and show you that even in Job's suffering, even in the midst of the turmoil that he was facing, he understood the greatness and the holiness of God. Look at Job chapter 12, verse 13. Job says, With him, God, are wisdom and might. To him belong counsel and understanding. Behold, he tears down and it cannot be rebuilt. He imprisons a man and there can be no release. Behold, he restrains the waters and they dry up. And he sends them out and they inundate the earth. With him are strength and sound wisdom. The misled and the misleader belong to him. He makes counselors walk barefoot and makes fools of judges. He loosens the bond of kings and binds their loins with a girdle. He makes priests walk barefoot and overthrows the secure ones. He deprives the trusted ones of speech and takes away the discernment of the elders. He pours contempt on nobles and loosens the belt of the strong. He reveals mysteries from the darkness and brings the deep darkness into light. He makes the nations great, then destroys them. He enlarges the nations, then leads them away. He deprives of intelligence the chiefs of the earth's people and makes makes them wander in pathless waste. They grope in darkness with no light, and he makes them stagger like a drunken man. Now, what Job is doing is he's showing the wisdom and the greatness, even the very holiness or separation of God from mankind. And this is very important because what's happening as you read through the book of Job is his friends are accusing Job of being irreverent and uh, not uh, following God and, and probably hidden sin in Job's life. And they're accusing him of this. So this helps us see that Job is not being irreverent. He's not questioning even God's holiness and greatness. That Now, there are verses that you'll read through Job that seem as if Job is saying God doesn't care about him anymore, God is being unfair. And and remember, Job does not know the behind-the-scenes things. Uh, he doesn't know that God and Satan have had this conversation. And so there are moments where Job says, God, have you forgotten about me or have you treated me wrongly uh, because I know I'm not going against you. Uh, but but still, Job is still reverent in the uh, in. Uh, in understanding God's greatness and His holiness. We see that. Now, when you're sharing the gospel with individuals, uh, and that's that's what I want you to focus on, uh, we must point them to the holiness of God. Don't immediately point them to their own sin because uh, just to show somebody their sin doesn't matter. Uh, but if they see, hey, I have sinned against the God of the universe, then then that's where we become accountable for our sin. 
without accountability to God, uh, we could sin all we want to. And so we see that Job understood the greatness and the holiness of God. But Job also understood the sinfulness and despair of mankind. Look then now at chapter 13. Chapter 13, verse 20, he says, uh, Only two things do not do to me. Then I will not hide my hide from your face. Remove your hand from me, and let not the dread of you terrify me. Then call, and I will answer. Or let me speak, then reply to me. How many are my iniquities and sins? Make known to me my rebellion and my sin. So the very first thing Job does is he he says, God, I cannot make it without you. So please don't hide from me. There, there's despair when God hides his face. There's despair when God removes his hand from us. And, and this is what we must understand. We cannot be in right fellowship with God when we're in rebellion and sin. And Job says, hey, if I've sinned, show me my sin. But jump down to chapter 14, verse 1, and he says, Man who is born of woman is short-lived and full of turmoil. Like a flower, he comes forth and withers. He also flees like a shadow and does not remain. You also open your eyes on him and bring him into judgment with yourself. Who can make the clean out of the unclean? No one. Since his days are determined, the number of his months is with you, and his limits you have set so that he cannot pass. Turn your gaze from him that he may rest until he fulfills his day like a hired man. Jump down to verse 14, and he says, If a man dies, will he live again? All the days of my struggle, I will wait until my change comes. You will call and I will answer you. You will long for the work of your hands. For now you number my steps. You do not observe my sin. My transgression is sealed up in a bag and you wrap up my iniquity. So uh, Job is showing the the sinfulness of mankind, the despair of mankind without God and his hand and his holiness. And uh, and these are glimpses of the gospel for us that we must see. The, the entire word of God points us to the fact that God is holy and man is sinful. And our only sense of righteousness is from Jesus Christ. And this is where Job says in Job chapter 19, if his life is taken away, he says in verse 23, Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book that with an iron stylus and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. As for me, to me this is the most important verse, as for me I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will take his stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God, whom I myself shall behold, and whom my eyes will see and not another. My heart faints within me. Job still loved the the God that he served, and he understood that there was a Redeemer. Now think about this, though. Chapter 1, verse 1 says that Job was blameless and upright. Doesn't mean he's perfect. meant that he was living a life of pursuit after God, a complete man of integrity. He didn't go in different directions. He wasn't double-minded. He, he was a complete man who followed God. Now, listen, Job still needed a Savior. He says, my Redeemer. Well, the only reason you need a Redeemer is to be bought back. He, he had the assurance of an advocate that the point of the book of Job is not about Job in and of himself. The point of the book of Job is that God is being uh, told by Satan, Job doesn't fear you. Job doesn't love you and worship you because of you. Job does it because you've blessed him. And, and so the book of Job is not a battle about Job and his own uh, pride or arrogance. It's a battle about God's glory. And in this, Job gives God the glory by saying, I know my Redeemer lives. 
I have the assurance of an advocate. Where Satan is the slanderer, the accuser, I have an advocate, and I will see my Redeemer one day. The book of Job is a book of glorifying and worshiping God. And so, understand the greatness, the glory, the holiness of God. Understand the sinfulness and despair of mankind. Understand the need for a Savior. And if that's the case, Job finally understood the righteous behavior of a changed life. Look at chapter 23 and look at verse 10. He says, But he, God, knows the way I take. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot has held fast to his path. I have kept his way and not turned aside. I have not departed from the command of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Job realizes that because his trust was in God, that this test that he was going through, being tried as gold, he would come forth pure. See, the fire produces the faithfulness. That's the point of this book, to see that ultimately it was to give his life to God, to uh, be put through this test, be put through this fire, so that he would glorify God at the end. And that's what he says in chapter 42. And so as we share the gospel with others, may we point them to God's majesty and greatness. May we point them to our own sinfulness. May we show them our need for a Savior and then show them that because of our Savior, our lives change and we can walk in His righteousness. That's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ because only Jesus Christ, our Redeemer and Savior, died, was buried, and rose again for us. As we finish out this episode, I want to, uh, it being Thursday, point us to Throwback Thursday, a moment in church history. We have now come to about a thousand years of Christian or church history. We are in the year 1095, the end of the 11th century, when Pope Urban II launches the first crusade. You may have heard the term the crusades, but what exactly was going on in that day? I want to give you a brief overview of that, and whether it was good or bad, you can be the determiner or judge of that. See, in 1088, Urban II became pope, and within about seven years, he called in 1095 the Council of Claremont and preached a sermon in which he discussed the the Turks who were gaining ground. And he, Pope Urban II, desired for uh, to to reunify the East and the West, uh, Western Church, and and uh, he attempted to do that. So he wanted to give them a common enemy. He also tried to get lands, gather lands, and one of the greatest uh, uh, land mass he wanted was the Holy Land. And so, <coughs> in this sermon uh, at the Council of Claremont, he made this statement. A horrible tale has gone forth, and a cursed race utterly alienated from God has invaded the lands of Christians and depopulated them by the sword, plundering and fire. And so his uh, battle cry was, tear that land from the wicked race and subject it to yourselves. The people who heard this sermon responded with Deus Volt, or God wills it. And in that council, that uh, saying spread to even commoners who went out and proclaimed this great crusade to win back God's 
uh, land for God's chosen people and go against the infidel. In their minds, the slaughter of infidels who had taken over the Christian Holy Land may have seemed like an act of service to God. In fact, this is what Pope Urban said. He promised them the spiritual benefits of war against the Muslims, such as assurance of entering heaven directly and not spending time in purgatory. He would offer that assurance. So they uh, begin this first crusade, and they captured the cities of Antioch and Jerusalem. And even over the next few decades, they began to build new castles in those lands and to move from offensiveness of gaining the lands to defensiveness and trying to hold on to those lands. During the first and, and even second crusades, new orders were created, such as, and you may be familiar with this term, the Knights Templars and the Knights Hospitallers. And all of the the times of the Crusades lasted for about 200 years. And in 1291, the Muslim troops eventually captured the city of Acre and effectively ended the Crusades. But during this time of 200 years, there was great bloodshed uh, and, uh, and, and war. So as we see the Crusades, um, many have asked, what did they accomplish? Now, depending on your particular view of Christian history, you may answer that in many different ways. Let me share with you what they accomplished. The Crusades accomplished a more militaristic Christianity in that day, armies that would rise up in the name of God. It accomplished a more powerful papal authority. Uh, we see that Pope Urban II gained a lot of influence <coughs> and authority through this, and so launching the the Crusades uh, allowed the Pope and the the uh, uh, successors of Pope Urban II to have more authority to uh, to control lands. It launched a uh, or it accomplished a greater division between the Eastern and Western Church. What Pope Urban II tried to do in unifying uh, the the Church after the East-West Schism actually backfired, and it provided an even greater division. It accomplished a testimony of blood and war to the Muslims. Uh, and again, while many will say that uh, the Muslims uh, initiated these crusades by going and trying to take land and the Turks uh, spreading, uh, the Christians definitely had their role in this initiation. So, accomplishing all of those things, as far as the spread of the gospel and the true kingdom of God in love, not so much. So my prayer in knowing this aspect and uh, part of church history is that we not follow the example of the church in that day, but we follow the example of Christ. He said, "You will; they will know you, my disciples, by how you love one another. Yes, stand up spiritually for what is right, but be reminded daily that we are to love. And we love best by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ through evangelism. I love you. I'm praying for you. Stakes in the ground.